0: You would remain standing and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. I don't know who was supposed to change the text this week um, in the bulletin, but they didn't do their job. That would be me. First Corinthians uh, is where we'll be this morning. Chapter one. We'll begin in verse 17 and read down through 2-2. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and a folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts... Boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. Lord, thank you for this, your word. It is light and life. And Father, we desperately need those things. Lord, would you shape us? Give us insight into what true power looks like and true knowledge and true wisdom. Lord, that they come from you and remind us that especially as the years go by. We're so tempted to look at other things. Would you reshape our views May we focus on you, Christ, our King. Would you, by your Spirit, be at work doing this today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So what are we to do, Grace Prez, with the events that have gone by this past year? What are the things that we mark that really matter? It's been a full year. Russia invaded Ukraine. Elon bought Twitter. Videos of teenagers crying because the Taylor Swift concert site crashed. And it's not just that that was news, it's that the news became that people were posting videos crying about that what matters a famous actor slapped a famous comedian and the whole world paid attention it's been it's been a wild ride the economy is inflated we had the olympics the winter olympics the world cup more waves of COVID and how everybody's reacting to it. It's all news. The overturn of the Roe versus Wade decision. Political power stayed in the news all year. England's queen died. What matters? What should matter to us? What should inform our thoughts on what is past and what's coming? What are Christians to, to look to? What are, what are we to look to to see glory in this coming year? All of us are built by God. We're designed by Him to to seek it. We we want to see glory. We, We want to see beauty. We want our heart to be captured by something. What should that thing be? I think this text has answers. You see, we're not the only culture to ever be divided, truly divided on what really matters. And I think we are. I think everybody is asking that. What really matters? What, what has staying power? What has meaning? Paul is talking about the, the Greeks seeking wisdom. Hey, this is where it's at, philosophy. Philosophy knowledge but not just that your ability to articulate that and shape someone else that really matters those are the superheroes of the greek culture of this day but then there are the jews who are always looking for signs they want to see something miraculous to have an influential position to them means that you are able to do something good. It's not how persuasive you are, it's, it's what you're able to produce in terms of your power, your strength. It's interesting, wisdom and its oppos- opposite foolishness, power and its opposite weakness are listed in this text some 20 times. Why should any of this concern us? Because Paul is writing this to the church to say, hey guys, you have blind spots. Somebody knocked your rear view mirror off and you can't see. And I think the same is true of us. The same is definitely true of me. We have blind spots, and this text is exposing them. So that central question is, where are we to look? Who gets it right? If not power or wisdom, then then what? Where should our sympathies lie? What should inform the way we view our world this year? Into that, Paul writes this critique. True power, true knowledge, true insight, true signs, true wisdom, true position comes not from either of these two competing approaches, but they come from the wisdom of God, which looks to the world like folly. The thing we are to look at most is Christ which looks utterly foolish. It it, it doesn't register on either plane. It doesn't register with the Greeks, and it doesn't register with the Jews. For Paul, the gospel specifically, Christ, his cross, provides the answer. It's like, hey, here's here's the critique. Here's your blind spot. You're looking for, for answers in all these other places. You're looking for wisdom. You're looking for power. You're looking for control in all these ways. And you're utterly missing the truth. And the truth is what you need is Christ. Many things threaten the unity of the church. For Paul, in his day, was basically a popularity contest. How much do you like me? So the, the debate here is centered around who baptized who. That status is what mattered. Hey, you know, Paul baptized me, so I, I've got it going on. It's a popularity contest. That's the setting for this. It, it's, it's power. Who, who's really in control? Who, who, who is wielding power? Who, who has the most prestige? Who is most important? And he comes into that argument with a wrecking ball. I guess a question that we could ask up front is, is your status that big of a deal to you? Are you allowing your status to derail you from other things? Is your prominent position in whatever area of life that you're in, is your prominent position what matters most to you? Another way that we could ask the question is, how how has the gospel of Jesus Christ shaped your life? That's another way that we could ask this whole question that he's answering here. Does the gospel have any impact on, on the way that you live, the way that you work, the way that you interact with others at school, the way, the way that you comport yourself with your significant other? What is the gospel doing? Not just on a Sunday morning, day in, day out week in, week out, year in, year out, is the gospel meaningful to you? Here Paul spells out how the word of the cross, that is Christ crucified and risen, should impact every single area of our life. It's, it's a fantastic text as we begin this new year. The cross is powerful. It is able to reshape the way we view ourselves and other people, our communities. First, we'll see a cross-shaped view of wisdom. Then a cross-shaped view of self. And then finally, a cross-shaped approach to others. Notice that all of these center on his ultimate point, which is the cross of Christ. Again, they had this terrible dynamic of they they were split. Paul is great, he baptized me, Apollos is he's the real deal, he was the church planter, he baptized me, Peter baptized me, I'm, you know, I'm in. He responds to to all of this by saying, I'm not here to to baptize. Who baptized you doesn't matter, but what matters is preaching the gospel, proclaiming Christ to those who need to hear it. That's what matters. These arguments about status, he's saying they don't matter. What matters is proclaiming Christ eloquence of speech doesn't matter many for many in Corinth this would have been the height of what it means to be a successful individual is you're an eloquent speaker and you can win people over with your words with your arguments you you can you can handle it on your own you can sway a crowd and he's saying no that is not the power the cross of Christ is the, the true power. He goes further in verse 18 to say that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it's God's power for those who are being saved. Our world is obsessed with power. Political power. Military Your ability to influence others in your workplace or at school? Power. We're obsessed with it. And he's saying you're looking in the wrong place. For the Christian, he's offering this corrective. He's like, look, if you want to see true power, look at the cross. It's utterly upside down, but look to the cross of Christ to see true power. To those who are perishing, they view the cross as completely insane. The cross is folly to those who are perishing. Why? Why is it insane? I think one reason is because the gospel cuts straight to the heart of self-centeredness. It says, the gospel comes along and says this, you are not enough. You on your own, you are utterly not enough. And it cuts across our pride and it hurts us. The gospel says you have this huge lack. I think also this is folly to those who are perishing because it's a cross. And anybody who knows anything in this day and us in this church know that a cross is a that's a shameful thing it's a horrible thing this this whole text is full of the cross verse 13 was Paul crucified for you 17 the cross of Christ 18 the word of the cross 23 we we preach Christ crucified Two, two. I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. He's keeping the cross right in front. He's saying not the way that the world views power. You want to see power? Look at this. Look at this thing over here. This means of death. The cross is not pretty. And it certainly doesn't look very powerful. It looks like a way to end a person because that's what it's designed to do. It would be like saying the electric chair is the most powerful thing out there. That's crazy. This was a a shameful death. He's pointing us to the glory of our Lord who took our place. But the only way we're ever going to see the cross is powers to know that Christ went there for us. That's exactly what we deserve. Those who reject this, this shameful, weak death, are fundamentally denying the work of Christ on their behalf. And here's what they're doing. Instead, they're clinging to their own wisdom. They're saying, I know better. I know better how to get ahead in life. I'm good enough. I am confident enough. I can do this on my own. He goes further, quoting in his argument, Isaiah 29, which says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. The people he's prophesying about here are going through the motions in their relationship with God. They have it figured out. They're smart enough. They're strong enough. They don't need help. And God comes along, and into that, he says, No, you're not enough. I'm going to thwart you. In your strength, you're going to fail. In your wisdom, you're going to fail. even the old testament prophets we read wisdom does not come the world's way the wisdom of god and him alone will be praised in our study of genesis joseph just he gets tossed in a pit and sold and you're like, what in the world is going on here? Then he gets falsely accused, lied about, and tossed in jail. Again, forgotten. What in the world? This is insane. It, this is crazy. And then he's elevated to the second in command over all of Egypt. And by doing that, he saves his entire family. And it, the text says the world. It looks utterly foolish God's ways are not our ways what looks like foolishness to us is his wisdom on display verses 20 through 25 continue to contrast the wisdom of God the the cross of Christ which looks foolish to this world he rhetorically asks where are the wise generally where is the scribe? This would be the, the, the height of the the Jewish prowess. Where is the debater of the age, the height in Greek thought? Basically he's saying this Gimme your best shot. From any realm in society, give me your best. Where are they? And the rhetorical answer is they don't exist. They're nowhere because God has shamed them all. He has made them foolish through his incredible wisdom. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So if God can't be figured out or your life and my life can't be manipulated and tooled in the way that the world tells us to to produce something great, then where do we look? And he's saying, he's saying something amazing. Look to the foolishness of preaching. Christ. Proclaim Christ. Is this just what Quinn does once a week? No, that's not it. This is the proclamation of the gospel. This is you proclaiming the gospel to your own heart. Day in and day out. Week in and week out. This isn't just preaching that you come to and hear once a week. This is the proclamation of Christ. This is what changes people. This is what really works in the world to to build the church up. Proclaim Christ. And don't just see this as something that, uh, that's what the preacher does. No, this is every single one of us. The folly of preaching. Preaching is the proclamation of Christ. Have you ever thought about preaching as foolish and weak? I promise you I have. 52 weeks a year. It's foolish. This is exactly God's means to to upend everything, is to announce and have announced to your ears, to your heart, good news. That though you were a sinner, deserving of wrath and condemnation, Christ has come. The very Son of God has come in our place to live for us, to die for us. And death did not hold him because he was perfectly righteous. He he gloriously rose from the dead, promising in that and sealing our own resurrection. That is good news. And we need it. We need it every day. Of course we need it on Sunday morning. Of course. We need it on Monday. We need it every day. This is the wisdom of God that upends all the other wisdom or signs or power from any other culture. This is the heart. The proclamation of Christ. To those of us who think we can figure this life out on our own, this comes in like a wrecking ball. And saying any other way that you think is right to to live life apart from Christ is utter foolishness. To those constantly looking for a sign to see if God is real. If he would just give me a sign and, and then I would know he's real. This text cuts across that as well. It's saying you need no other sign. Look to Christ with hearts of faith. To those who don't know Christ, this message might not sound right to you. Why would God send His only begotten Son to this world? That sounds crazy. And it's saying it is the wisdom and power of God itself to those of us doing evangelism, which all of us should as Christians be speaking to others who need to know the Lord about the, the greatness of the Gospel. Open your mouths. You're like, I don't have the right arguments. It doesn't matter. It's gonna sound foolish anyway. Open your mouths proclaim Christ it it seems like utter folly it looks and and look you're not going to dress it up enough you're not going to make it sound good enough it's not going to be because of your winning smile it's going to sound like utter foolishness proclaim Christ that is wisdom that is God's wisdom to, to change the, the world. So we have this cross-shaped view of wisdom, which c- comes against, cuts across, like all, all the, um, the ways that the world would have us view wisdom and power. celebrity, power, prestige. The wisdom of the cross cuts across all of that. It says, here's true power. Here is true prestige. So we have this cross-shaped view of wisdom. Next, this cross-shaped view of the self. This section, Paul turns his attention to believers um, to have them consider their own callings. He's already referenced this group back in 21. He's talking to this, again, this culture which really prized uh, personal wisdom and facility with language and, and also signs, power, and things like that. Wealth and nobility mattered to them a ton. And listen to these categories. Not many by wise and worldly standards. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. Many in Corinth, especially in the church, were considered fools. They were foolish. It doesn't look very good, does it? But how does God view the situation? God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. He delights in nobodies. He welcomes the outcast. The foolish are chosen by God to shame the wise. The weak, are shaming the strong, the have-nots. Listen, this is what the church is in the world. If you didn't know that, you are a part, if you are a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a have-not. Sorry. It's just a fact. You are a have-not. Because God has chosen you His bride to to bring to nothing the the things that, that are. Why does he do this? Verse 29 answers so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. What does it mean to boast? to talk with excessive pride and self-satisfaction about one's own achievements. None of us have the right to do that. None of us. We have nothing to boast about. He alone is the source of transformed lives, verse 30. He alone takes the lowliest of lows and gives them eternal status. He alone takes the poorest of the poor in the world and makes them rich in Christ beyond measure. He alone takes the foolish and gives them wisdom that makes them seem otherworldly. He alone takes the weak. And with the weak, shames the strong. He alone, Christ alone, takes those who are lowly and despised in the world and he gives them glory. They radiate not because they're so great, but because of Christ. The only source of our Christ-like wisdom is God, He is our righteousness, He is our sanctification, He is our redemption from beginning to end. He is doing this work, He is going to complete it. We lack nothing in Him. In fact, He will not share His glory with another. That's why none of us can boast remember Ephesians 2, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. What? Lest anyone should boast. Why is it such a gift? It's a gift because none of us can boast. We can't say we've done any of it. Verse 31 actually flips the situation a bit. And it says, actually, let the one who boasts, let him boast in Christ. we all have something we can brag about. Child of God, you have something to brag about and that is Christ. How great He is, how big He is, how big of a sinner you are and what He has done to save you. You can boast in that. He's referencing Jeremiah 9, thus Says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, nor the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Do you boast in the Lord? Do you know how big he is? In this new year, our boast shouldn't be in our riches, not in our bank account. It should be in this, that we are known by God himself, that his steadfast love is great, and that he has rescued even the likes of us. When we live in this way, others around us will notice a difference. That we're not trying to get something from them. That we can live around them simply with an open hand. Because our boast isn't... We we don't have to then have them think something of us that's, that's not true. Like, here's what I have to offer... I am who I am because of Christ. That's otherworldly humility and otherworldly love and otherworldly power completely comes from Him. Why is our human wisdom so detrimental to doing ministry with others around us? It's because human wisdom utterly doesn't recognize what God is doing it doesn't recognize that Jesus is in control of every single thing that happens our human wisdom says that we alone are in charge of our lives striving intensity pressure Human wisdom and human power leave us utterly saltless, utterly meaningless in our world, fruitless, no production, no harvest in our day, choked out with worldly cares. Let's trust in God's wisdom. That's a cross-shaped view of the self, and lastly, a cross-shaped view of others. Chapter two, verses one and two. He he tells us he gives us something interesting. He's like, hey, here's here was my um, strategy when I came to Corinth. Here's how I approached them. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. This is the world's worst sales pitch. It's terrible, it's awful. He's like, I intentionally was dumb. I didn't come persuading you with all, bringing all my prowess to bear. Because that that didn't matter at all. And this guy is brilliant. And he's saying, I I didn't come relying on my brilliance. He decided, this was his New Year's resolution, to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. What a great resolution. There you go. Add that to your gym membership and etc. Know nothing but Christ and him crucified. This is the wisdom of God. Jesus is true wisdom. Jesus, if you're looking for a sign, look no further than Jesus himself. So we come to the end of one year and the beginning of another. We don't know what hardships we'll face. But we cannot buy the lies of the world around us lies about power, fame, prestige. Let's double down on the reality of Christ and Him crucified. That's true power. Let's proclaim as beautiful something that the rest of the world would look at and say, shame. Something like the, the cross of Christ. Let's point to that. Every, everybody else in the world is going to be saying, that's shame. And we're going to say, no, it's power. It's glory. It's, it's beauty. Let the death and resurrection of Christ reframe who we are this year and the things that we long for. Let the triumph of the cross, foolishness to the world be our boast to the world around us that desperately needs to hear good news. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we we need it. We need to know this otherworldly wisdom. that is cross-shaped. Lord, we've been tempted this last year and we will be tempted in this year ahead to rest in our own wisdom, to trust the wisdom of the world. Would you shape us by something else? Would your gospel be what shapes us and motivates us and moves us this year? And may we open our mouths to tell People around us who desperately need to hear this folly of a sermon, that you love us, that you died and rose again for us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.